When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. That's Psalm 126, which along with Psalms 124 and 125 are the Psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, November the 22nd, 2022. So we are continuing to prepare ourselves to get ready for Advent by hearing the call of God of the necessity of preparation, that we're actually not ready (laughs) to receive him again. So we're going to be in Zechariah's prophecy again today. We're going to be in chapter 11, verses 4 through 17 in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, verses 31 to 43. And today we're going to be over in 1 Corinthians 3, um, verses 10 to 23. It's Zechariah, let me remind you of this, is, is at the time of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So it's prior to, he, he's actually, his physical time dates are prior to Ezra, for instance. But so they would be after or during the time of Nehemiah, but, but before the time that Ezra is written. And so they've come back to the land. And, and what there's obviously there, there's a spiritual malaise. There's a, there's, there's a sense that, that the people are not being prepared. They're, they've come back from their exile, and they're happy about Jerusalem, but it's prior to the rebuilding of the temple. It's after the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. But the people are wandering spiritually. They're, they're not where they need to be, and it's all because of the leaders. So it's a vulnerable people because there wouldn't be that many of them there. Most of them had never been to Jerusalem before because they'd been in exile. Most of them had been born in exile in the same way that the wilderness generation that comes into the land, likewise, had, had, had no knowledge of anything except the wilderness. And so many of these people, because the Babylonian exile was 70 years, they, they would have no memory or knowledge of anything other than being Babylonians or in Egypt if they had run to Egypt instead. He says, thus says the Lord my God, be, become a shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. In other words, they're not, this generation is not going to prosper. And, and it's their own fault. It's the shepherd's fault, but it's also their fault. And, and the shepherds are selling them for slaughter. He says, those who buy them, slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I've become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. So the people, the, the shepherds, the leaders of the people, have made the people a commodity. And that's all they are, is a commodity. It's a way to get rich off these people. I'll no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. So it's not just the shepherds that he's angry with here. No, 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 it's the people as well. They should know better. You know, one of the things that we believe about the synagogue movement, because the synagogue movement becomes important when they come back to the land, and it's important in the time of Jesus, is that that was begun by Ezekiel in the time of the exile in Babylon, that, that he raised up teachers, and this is when the rabbis became important. That, that they raised up teachers for the people, and, and then they would meet in, in places called synagogues, which are places where you worship. So they, they were instructed in the, land, in, the, in the land of Babylon, and now they come back, and, well, we don't know what to make of it. They don't, they don't seem to have this zeal for the law. 
They don't have the, seem, seem to have the zeal for God's word. So he says, Behold, I'll cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king, and they'll crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. Who is their king? Their king is Cyrus, the king of Persia at this point. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. That's an interesting way of looking at it. The sheep traders would be those who buy and sell the sheep, right? So we've already seen that. Those who buy them, slaughter them, and go unpublished, punished. And those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I become rich. So he, he became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named favor and the other union, favor and grace, all that. And I tended the sheep. In a month, I destroyed the three shepherds. And we have no earthly idea who these three people are that he's speaking of, but they would have been those who had been shepherds over the people. And in the same way, Jesus destroyed the shepherds who were over Israel at the time that he came, and how did he destroy them? Because by his words and his actions, the people turned to him. So the shepherds are, in essence, destroyed because they no longer have the hearts of the people, and they won't follow them anymore. He said, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What's to die? Let it die. What's to be destroyed? Let it be destroyed. And let those who have left, who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I made with my peoples. And, and that's a statement that, that's not just Zechariah saying, I quit. No, it, it's a prophetic word that God has done with them, that he's had it. And they no longer are in covenant with him. They've gone outside the covenant, and God has annulled his covenant with this particular people. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. So he's asking the sheep traders, not the owners of the sheep, because the owner is God. They're the ones who are profiting off these people. So he says, if, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, you just keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. And where else do we see 30 pieces of silver? We see it in the betrayal of Judas. But here they give him 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So they had value for him. And he said, I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter, the one who would have made the sacred vessels for use in worship. So he threw it in there and, and said, here you go. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. So when he does this, it's what Judas tried to do, is to return the 30 pieces of silver he had received for betraying Jesus. He tried to return that to the temple treasury. They said, that's blood money. We can't receive that back. Well, it was blood money when they paid it. And what, is he then, what do they then do with the 30 pieces of silver? They buy the potter's field. So here he throws the money to the potter. And then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I'm raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. I mean, it's a hideous, hideous thing here. And, and, and he says, this is the way that the shepherds of my people are treating my people. And, and there's no price that they're paying for this. And Jesus comes and does exactly the same thing. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Here, 
This passage finishes, Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered and his right eye utterly blinded. So he, he wouldn't be able to watch over the flock and he wouldn't be able to tend the flock because he wouldn't be able to use his hand or his eye. And he would be maimed and he would no longer be fit to be a leader in the house of God. And that's exactly what he's saying. And, and so Jesus, when he speaks about the good shepherd, he tells that story in, in contrast with the worthless shepherd, the one who deserts the flock. And he said he's just a hireling. And so it's the same in the day of Zechariah, which is about the 6th century B.C., as it is in the time of Jesus 600 years later, or 500-plus years later. And so Jesus here, in the gospel passage, takes the 12 and says to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem, because it's a city on a hill. And everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And, and when they hear that, they're, they're probably excited. Because what they believed the prophet said was is that he'd be the king. But then he goes on and says, he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he'll be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they'll kill him, and on the third day, he'll rise. And, and what they understood, none of this. This saying was hidden from them, and they didn't grasp what was said. In other words, they don't read the prophets that way. When Jesus says everything that's, that's been said in the prophets is going to happen to him, and then he goes on to say these things, their response is, we have no earthly idea what you're talking about. We read the prophets, but that doesn't fit with what we read. We don't understand this at all, and it's true to this day. There's a rabbi, Tovia Singer, who who's basically just makes it his, his whole raison d'etre to destroy and demolish the idea of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 points to the Messiah. I mean, the guy gets furious, and, and his YouTube videos are, are all based in the belief that Christianity is based in a lie and a misreading of Scripture. And he says it's intentional. They fit Scripture, retrofitted it after the fact to say these things. That nobody read it that way before. And it's true. Nobody read it that way before. Nobody was looking for the suffering servant. Nobody was looking for a Messiah to die on a cross. And so what he says, though, is, is, is that they're now reading that cross back into Scripture. And we are. Because what we're also saying is it's been misinterpreted. The resurrection tells us you got it wrong, and that's the point. He says, and he drew near to Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging because he can. That's that's exactly what they're allowed to do. And this would have been a boon to him because these people are coming up for the Passover. There's there would be huge crowds passing through Jericho on a daily basis, coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, and so, hey, these are good times. These people don't even know me. I mean, the rest of these people, you know, they see me every day, but now these guys are, are coming through here, and so I'm begging, and it's considered to be really important to give alms to people who beg right before these festivals and during the time of the festivals. And so hearing a crowd going by, he, the blind man, inquired what this meant, and they told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Well, that must have meant something right away. That they, they said it that way tells you that, 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 that they expected him to understand, and he did. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, which is sort of the precursor to what's actually going to happen once he comes into Jerusalem. But for some other reason, they're telling him to do that, to shut up. It's exactly what's going to happen when he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The leaders in Jerusalem are going to say, stop it, shut them up, tell them to stop this. We're going to get into big trouble with the Romans. So here they tell this, this blind man to shut up. But the, he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. So when he's hollering out, Son of David, Jesus stopped. When he did, he affirmed exactly what that man said, that he is indeed the Son of David, which is a messianic term. So Jesus stopped, commanded him to be brought to him, and when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, at first glance, that seems like a really silly question, but the reality is he's begging. What does he want from Jesus? And he's got to say it. He says, Lord, let me recover my sight. And I'm sure everybody there is just astonished that that's what he wants from Jesus. He, that's faith. He believes in the way that the centurion believed. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And you can imagine that they would. This man who's been there, he's familiar to them as one who's begging. He asks to recover his sight from the son of David, and he receives his sight back. Now, within about 10 days, he's going to see things that, that he would never, ever have imagined that he would see in the, in the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. Hopefully, his eyes also saw the resurrected Jesus. But be careful what you wish for, because you might not want to see those things. In the epistle today, Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. What he's saying here is, is that, that I, I was given grace to do this particular work. And like Zechariah, he's a shepherd of the people. And like Zechariah, he's doing his best to shepherd the flock. He recognizes that the people are being sold for nothing by their leaders. And he faced his own persecution because he preached the truth and taught the truth. He said, let, let each one take care how he builds upon it, and it is the foundation that Paul laid. He says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And Jesus says that himself, that, that he's, anyone who believes in him is like one who built his house on the rock. And so here, Paul speaks of a house built on the foundation of Christ. And he says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. In other words, we'll ultimately see, it'll be proven in judgment, what material you put on that foundation of Christ. He said, for the day, which is judgment day, we'll disclose it because it'll be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So when you build on the foundation of Christ in your life, what are you building with? What are the materials you're building with? Is it stuff of earth or is it stuff of heaven? Is it valuable stuff or is it just junk? He said if, anyone, if, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, He'll receive a reward, which would be eternal life. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire, because the foundation will stand. The foundation that's Christ. 
is an eternal foundation and it can't be destroyed. Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And that's connected with what he's talking about before that, with what are the building materials you're building of your, on, into your life that's built on the foundation of Christ. He says, don't you know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, he will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. In other words, take care. Little eyes, what you see. Take care, little ears, what you hear. Those kinds of things. Build it in the right way. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become like a fool, that he may become wise. And that fits in with yesterday's gospel where Jesus says you've got to come like a child in order to receive the kingdom of God. And Paul says you've got to do the same thing. If you think you're wise, then, then he's already said in 1 Corinthians that the wisdom of the wise is folly to God. And here he says the wisdom of the world is folly with God. What he, what he says is if you think you're wise, you've got to get rid of that for the wisdom of the world isn't something you can build upon. It's the wrong thing because the world rejected Jesus, whether it's Gentile or Jew. They rejected him. There's a wisdom that comes from God that your life has to be built upon. And that's what he's saying is, he says, get rid of all these things. All this worldly wisdom you might have, you got to get rid of it so that you become truly wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. So let no one boast in men. Boast in the Holy Spirit. Boast in what God gives you, the wisdom God gives you. He says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas of the world or life or death or the present or the future, all yours, your Christ's, and Christ is God's. So all this wisdom is yours. It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. It's not Cephas. It's nobody else. I had a friend, quote, um, at the gym that for over a year, every single time he saw me, he asked me the same question, what's the Lord saying? And I would say something, and then he would repeat something somebody else said, which is, I mean, not horrible, but I asked him one day, are you Roman Catholic? He said, what are you talking about? I said, you don't ever seem to hear directly from the Lord. It always seems to be filtered through the words of men. You know, that sometimes you got to get alone with God. you got to let God speak to you you got to let him speak to you directly. It's not wrong to quote other people. That's not a problem. But what is the problem is when you substitute and let them become in between you and God. God doesn't want a mediated relationship with you. He doesn't want you to hear the word and understand the word only through somebody else. No, he has words that he wants to speak directly to you that are personal. And he can speak through other people, but if you're not spending time on your own before the Lord, then there's a problem. I hope always that anything that I say here is meaningful, obviously, but what I hope it really does is cause you to want to read the Word and be in the Word for yourself. I hope that when you hear me read the Word and expound on the Word, what happens is I would hope that that at least sometimes— You hear something I didn't hear, something I didn't say, that the Lord speaks to you through the reading and the public proclamation of his word. And that's the reason that I don't just talk about it. I read it every single day. I read it aloud. I read every verse that we've been given.
so that you can hear that word for yourself because I believe that God speaks to his people through his word. And I believe that you should be hearing things from God when I read this word that I didn't hear and that I didn't say.